0: Tonight, Lord, we get to come and study your word. We get to come back to the book of Job. And we ask, Lord, that tonight you would speak to us, Lord, amid all the things that are taking place in our world. That you would speak to us, Lord, regardless and, and Lord, with everything that is changing every single day. That we would learn, that we would understand what it means to trust you, to put our confidence in you and you alone. We ask, Lord, for our prayer meeting that many would gather together this Thursday night at 7 to pray together. For our world, for our church, for our times, for our requests, Lord. We ask, Lord, even for this Sunday, Communion Sunday, that we would be prepared to take communion house to house. Lord, in our own living rooms, with our families. And Lord, we also thank you for the generosity of your church, Lord, that is still meeting the needs of this place. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to stretch us when it comes to our giving, and that we would be faithful and committed in that area, in Jesus' name. And together, everyone said, even in your living room, we said, Amen. Amen. So I want to invite you this evening to open your Bible to Job chapter 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 10 where we left off last week, Job 23, verse 10. And the title of today's message is, Where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? Because I think that not only in these chapters that we're gonna to study today, but also in the time that we're living in, our confidence is being tested. In fact, we ought to know that we, our confidence should only be focused on one thing, and that's the sovereignty of God. What is sovereignty? You would maybe ask yourself or think about. Sovereignty means that God is supreme in power, supreme in authority. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He knows it all. He is in control. And that's where our confidence should be in. in Now the sovereignty, the supremacy, the authority, the control, the all-knowing now power of God. But where is your confidence? Confidence. Where is your confidence? We learn even from the last few chapters that Job wants to sit now at the judge's bench now in the courtroom and plead his case before God because he knows that he's going to find comfort and grace and mercy before the throne of God. He says, I want to meet with God. Put me at the judge's bench because there God will declare me innocent. And he knows that he's innocent. But there he starts to now recover, or he starts to now at this chapter, chapter twenty-three. He starts to now gather now strength. He starts to gather endurance that was never more important in his life than this time. And today, in our time, in our life, it is never more important for us to have strength and endurance. It was never more vital in our Christian walk than today to have strength. And to have endurance, patience was never as valued as it is right now, especially through the trials. That's when you start to learn what patience means and looks like. Because we need patience in the trials and and oftentimes the trials take longer than what we think or what we expect for them to take. Sometimes we believe that the trial is going to be over and the Lord just lets us sit in the trial a little longer. Therefore, we develop patience. Because what happens when we go through trials? What happens when, when its purpose is unknown during this time that we are living in as a church and where we stay at home or where we are quarantined? What happens to our confidence when we don't understand the purpose behind it all? When we don't like what's taking place? You know, this last Sunday evening, I, we learned that this process of, of now staying at home and, and being quarantined. These regulations and these guidelines were extended now to the end of April. And when I heard that, I, I, was, I was disappointed. <laughs> because my heart is to meet with the church again in person. And many people's hearts were now saddened. But the Lord then spoke to me that evening that that my disappointment are are occasions for His divine appointment. And this is His divine appointment. Because God does not ask for your permission to do His will, nor does He need it. And I'm going to say that again because I want you to write this down. God does not ask for your permission to do His will, nor does He need your permission. (laughs) And the Lord reminded me that that very quickly this last weekend. That He's going to do what He wants to do. And although we are unable to explain the plan of God, Job teaches us here, I can still trust Him. I I, I can't explain it, but I can trust Him. I'm unable to justify the permissions of God. I don't know why He permits this, but I still trust Him. That is knowing who God is. That is having now good theology and saying... He is still trustworthy. He is still trustworthy. And we didn't train ourselves to think theologically, to think theologically, to say, because now Job thought, and because Job knew correctly about God, he was able to endure when he didn't understand the why. That is, thinking theologically. Knowing God is in control, knowing God is sovereign, knowing my confidence is God, is in God. And because of that, because I understand that I know that I can have peace without knowing the why the purpose behind it I'm going to give you three points before we even jump on to Job 23 verse 10 and the first is to really resist number one resist the temptation on trying to explain everything resist the temptation on wanting to explain everything why? because God knows because God knows number one Number two, that we would focus on the future benefits, not on the present pain. That we would focus on the future benefits, not on the present pain, because God leads. Do you see how God knows and then God leads? But number three is that we would embrace the sovereignty of God, embrace the sovereignty of God. Number three, because God controls now if you and I and we as a church, were really focusing and leaning in on the fact that God knows, God leads and God controls, we will endure. We will have patience because we are going to be focused. Our eyes are going to be fixed on the fact that He does know, He does lead and He does control. And God is painting a picture on a canvas that we don't know anything about. And from our perspective, maybe that looks like something messy. That looks like something that doesn't make sense. But from his vantage point, from his perspective, it's a beautiful painting where every color and every brush stroke is carefully now calculated now in a heavenly pattern that is so incredible. And maybe right now we cannot see that picture, but one day we will. Think about this. It is God's mastership it's his mastership the bible says that we are his mastership right that because we are that that he is creating something of us that we don't know and we don't understand now in Job chapter 23 verse 10 it says here as we left off but he knows the way that I take this is where we left and when, I, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. The furnace experience. Why is this so important? I don't understand it. But I do know that I'm in the furnace experience. And when he has tested me, it's not a punishment. It's a test. He knows my faith. He sees my faith. It's a test now. And when he has tested me, after that, I'm going to come forth as gold. Gold. Why am I going to come forth as gold? I'm going to come forth purified. I'm going to come forth with more value when it comes to my faith. I'm going to come forth, forth more with a, a character built now on godly principles that, that it has been tested. Because a faith that has been tested is a faith that has been trusted. In the furnace, and after the furnace, God can trust your faith. And if God's going to trust you, by enabling you, by placing things in your hand, first he must test you. You notice that every man that God used in the Bible, every man was first tested before he was trusted. Every single one. And here Job is going to teach us on what it means to trust God and, and new depths of knowing God. Because he's going to uh, reveal to us how much he actually knows Him now. In Romans 11 verse 33, what does Paul tell us about the Lord? Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Oh, they're unsearchable, His judgments now. They're unfathomable, they're unsearchable, they're unscrutable now, the ways of God. I cannot now uh, understand them fully. They're impossible to understand or to interpret. In Psalms 139, verse 6, the psalmist says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I don't understand. But my confidence is still there. Because although I cannot understand it, he is still trustworthy. Although I don't know, he is still trustworthy. There will be times that we are going to try to understand something, and we're not going to understand it, but He is still trustworthy. And all of this, of us, the, the unfathomable, uh, just character of God, the unsearchable character of God, it does not mean that He stops being good, He stops being merciful, He's out of touch with His people. It does not mean that. It means that He has a plan that we don't know anything about. What did the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 55, verse 8? For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor my ways your ways says the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts it's his plan we are his now workmanship or his workmanship and look what it tells us now in verse 11 my foot has held fast to his steps this is why he understands this is why he has confidence Because he knows now, that he's a a man with character in the making. And he realizes that. And look what he says in verse 11: My foot has held fast to his steps, I have been obedient. I have not during this time, now walked away. Endurance without now, obedience is not really true endurance. That's why obedience is needed when it comes to endurance. Here he's getting a lot of clarity when it comes to his faith. And he's becoming more now patient. He's becoming more flexible. He's becoming more teachable by the hand of God in this trial. Did you know that you learn that when you're in the trial? You become more flexible in the trial. You learn to become more teachable in the trial. More Really more patient in the trial. Flexibility is something that we're all learning right now when it comes to our schedules, when it comes to what we depend on, where our confidence is on. And this is exactly what the Lord wants to teach His church. In fact, if you want to learn to be flexible, you must be willing to step into places where you're uncomfortable and you must be willing to say, I want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's what's going to make me flexible. Do you want to be flexible? If you're not being stretched, you never will learn to be flexible. And these trials in the life of Job were stretching him and he was being flexible and he was yielding now to become teachable now and patient in the hand of God. Are you flexible? What is it going to take for you to be flexible? Usable. It's going to take for you to be stretched. And sometimes God will use the trial to stretch us. Now notice in verse 11 how he talks about his integrity that he has now defined his integrity. He is defending his integrity. And he tells us this. He's holding fast to his steps. He said, I have stayed loyal to God's paths. In verse 11, I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have kept his way and I have not turned aside. I have been obedient to follow the Lord throughout this trial. Throughout this season, I always obeyed the Lord. I didn't fall away. What an encouragement this is to us, that we did not fall away in the moment of adversity. Because he who falls away in the moment of adversity, his strength is small. How big is your strength? It's revealed in the moment of adversity. He said, I have been loyal to God. I have been, and I'm confident, I have a pure conscience now that I have not turned my back on you, God. Therefore, I've endured In Psalms 44 verse 18, the psalmist said, Our heart has not turned back, nor our steps have departed from your ways. We haven't turned our back to you. Our steps have not departed from our way. Here, Job says, I have confidence in the midst of despair. I have confidence in God and I have confidence in my integrity. I can defend it with a pure conscience. I haven't straight away. Now verse 12, let's read it. It says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. The commandment of his lips have been so important to me. I have now reached into the commandments of his lips. And look how important the commandments of the lips uh, of God are to Job. I have treasured his words of his mouth. He's listening to the voice in the words of God. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wow, that's worth underlining in our Bibles. I have treasured the words of his mouth, and I've treasured them more than what? I have valued them. I have carefully sought them. I have carefully stored those words up. They mean more to me than necessary food. They are my supply of where I get now, uh, fully satisfied. I am fully sustained now by the words of the lips of his mouth. Do you see how he is clinging on to the words of the law of God through the trial? The best thing that you can do is to hold on to the word of God in the moment of adversity. And you know what it says? I treasured them. I value this. And it's more important to me now more than ever that I'm in the word of God. It's almost like Jeremiah, what he said in Jeremiah 15 verse 16. He says, Your words were found. And look what Jeremiah the prophet said. And I ate them. <laughs> He said, and your word was to me, the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Your word gave me joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I ate your word. Job is telling us over here that he treasured the words of the Lord. They were valued more to him than necessary food. And that's exactly why he didn't depart to the left or to the right. That's exactly why he was able to maintain his integrity. Because he treasured the words. We will never maintain healthy integrity in our lives if we are not maintaining and treasuring the words the way Job was. The commandments of his lips. More than necessary food, I've carefully stored them up. Now notice in verse 13, he, but he is unique. From verse 13 to verse 17, he talks about God's power and God's sovereignty and how God's power now he is above everything and no one can make him change he says this but he is unique and who can make him change who can change god he is unique he 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 is the one that makes the decisions and whatever his soul desires that he does we should underline that in our bible And no, whatever God wants to do, that's what He's going to do. No one's going to change His mind. He's going to make that decision, and He is unchangeable. He is perfect now. He is unchanging. Whatever He wants to do, that's what He's going to do. Because He's God, and we're not. And it goes on, and it says this, He performs what is appointed for me. This is amazing. It gives you comfort, verse 14, that He chooses something for you, that you would not choose for yourself. Isn't this amazing how we realize it, that the Lord puts us in situations that are appointed for us by Him? That every season, if we're in the will of God, is appointed by Him, that He is overseeing that season in our lives? He's overseeing it. He has oversight of that season. He says, He performs what is appointed for me. Verse 14. And he says, And many such things are with Him. You know what he's saying here, Joe? My future is in His hands. (laughs) He appoints whatever He wants for me. He controls my destiny. That's what he's saying. He controls my destiny. My future is in His hands. This is where he's getting absolute rest and peace that God leads, that God knows, right? And that God controls. This is exactly where he's getting that rest from. And look what he says here. He does what he pleases. See, Job had to admit that God would do what he was pleased to do in Job's life. And, and some of his ways are beyond, beyond our finding out. But he's saying, Job's saying, you know what? I understand that God's going to do what he pleases to do in my life. Charles Spurgeon said this when he was talking about the sovereignty of God that God knows and sometimes we're not going to understand because he's all-knowing, he's supreme, he has the authority. Charles Spurgeon says this, Those who resist to deny the sovereignty of God rob themselves of peace and courage. You know how the sovereignty of God provides you so much peace and courage? In fact, the sovereignty of God, it says here, he goes on, he says, There is no attribute of God that is more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. There is nothing more comforting to us than the doctrine of divine sovereignty, that God is in control, that God knows, that God leads, that God controls. That should provoke in us some kind of peace and comfort automatically. And in fact, we resist it. We resist the sovereignty of God sometimes in our life. Because our human heart is proud. It's exalted, our heart. And it does not want to submit to the almighty sovereignty of God. It doesn't want to submit that He's in control. Our human heart wants to automatically rebel by nature against the sovereignty of God and say, I'm in control. But you see how here Job is calling out on the sovereignty of God, verse 15 through 17. Look how he says why he fears God, because of his sovereignty and his power. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. No wonder I'm terrified of his presence, he's saying here. And when I consider this, I am afraid of him. I I have fear of the Lord, because I know that he is the one that's in control. And he says, for God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me. My heart is weak. I am terrified. The Almighty has made me even. Sick at heart. I understand that there is no way that I can dispute my case against Him. I know that I am where exactly where He wants me to be. Notice verse 17. Because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness. I was not cut off from the presence of darkness and He did not hide deep darkness from my face and you know what he's saying here he's saying you know the the lord has not cut me off from his presence he did not do this right and he's demonstrating here now that he is a god-fearing man that he knows that that god is awesome that god is in charge that god is in control And he's saying i'm just going to be fully submitted i'm going to be fully submitted here and in verse 17 he says i understand this And because of this, I know that he hasn't cut me off from his presence. You see, this fear tells us about this prior discouragement that he was feeling. He was feeling this discouragement because he didn't understand. But he comes now to a point in his life where he's saying, you know what? I'm just going to submit. And somehow in his faith, his faith was strong enough to be stretched at this moment. To be able to understand the fear of God and the confidence in God. You know, you're going to have confidence in God until you have fear for God. That's exactly what today's message is titled. Where is your confidence? Because your confidence is going to be where that of what you fear, what you respect. When you have fear for God, that's where your confidence is going to be. It's been said before, the future is your friend when Jesus Christ is your Lord. <laughs> and you do not need to be afraid. The future is your friend when Jesus Christ is your Lord and you do not need to be afraid. It was Charles Swindle that said this, Suffering helps us clarify our priorities and focus on the right objectives. Isn't isn't that what suffering has done for us lately? It has helped us clarify our priorities and focus on the right objectives. He goes on and he says this, The deeper the pain, the clearer the vision. The more we hurt, the better we determine what really matters. During the process, we replace knowledge with wisdom. Oh, isn't that heavy and so true? The deeper the the hurt, the better we determine what really matters. And during the process, we replace knowledge with wisdom. And this is exactly what we see here in Job's life. We see now wisdom taking place. And if there's something that we're going to learn from suffering in our lives, there's something that we're really going to realize from suffering, or suffering is that it, has, it comes with benefits. <laughs> and you start to realize that suffering is not an enemy. It's not an enemy because it, it, it goes from being an enemy to a friend. And one of the benefits of suffering when we learn from it is that it gives you now a vertical focus. It gives you a focus for God, a focus on God. That's what suffering does. That is the benefit that comes with suffering. It gives you a vertical focus on God. And it's important that we realize this, because when we do this, it changes now where our confidence is at. It changes where it's at. Now let's go to Job 24 as we continue reading here, because Job is going to now complain or answer his friends as to their case. And he's answering the case now. He's answering the case as to that he is a wicked man. And because he's a wicked man, he's being punished. And he's going to give examples as to why and how and when the wicked get away. In Job 24 verse 1, it says this, Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? Since God knows everything, since God is all-knowing and sovereign, now He's going to be now speaking from His heart. Why is there so much injustice? Why is it that my friends are saying that I'm wicked, that's why I'm suffering? However, there's a lot of wicked people that are getting away. There's so much injustice in this. Why is it that the wicked don't see the judgment and the godly have to wait in vain? Have you ever felt that way? That maybe you see other people that are, that are getting away with it? <laughs> And you ask yourself, why is it that they do all of this, they get away, but us that are looking for the Lord, we experience the suffering. In the New Living Translation, it reads, verse 2, Why does then the Almighty bring the wicked to judgment? And why must the godly wait for Him in vain? He's saying, if God judges the wicked like you guys are saying, why hasn't He judged those who have treated even the poor unjustly? He's going to give us examples. Look at the examples he gives us here. Some remove landmarks and they seize flocks violently. There are wicked people that steal land, that steal flocks, that steal property, and they feed from them. Verse 3, they drive away the donkey of the fatherless and they take away the widow of the ox as a pledge. They push the needy off the road, all the poor of the land. Look at the wicked, how they demonstrate their behavior. The, the poor is out there and he's searching now For some type of food and shelter and covering and providence because here the wicked man is oppressing the poor and they're getting away with it, he's saying. Why is it that the wicked oppress the poor and get away with it? Verse 5, indeed, like wild donkeys speaking about the poor and the needy that are being oppressed by the wicked. In, indeed, like the wild donkeys in the desert, they go out of their work searching for food. The wilderness yields food for them and for their children. They're out there looking for food in the wilderness, and the wilderness is where they have to eat. They gather in the fields. They gather their fodder in the field and glean in the vineyard of the wicked. Verse 6. This is where they are receiving Their daily providence, because they are pushed out by the wicked man. Verse 7, they spend the night naked without clothing, and they have no covering in the cloud. They're out there cold. They are wet, verse 8, with the showers of the mountain or under the rain, and they huddle around the rock for want of shelter or covering. He's saying, why is it that they have to live this way? And the wicked just get away. Some snatch the fatherless from the breast and take a pledge from the poor. Look at some are taking their own. Now the little babies from the, the mothers now as they're being now nursed and they're ripping them off. They're, they're taking their children from their mothers and it's saying here, and they cause the poor to go naked without clothing and they take away now the sheaves from the hungry. They press oil within their walls and they try to, they, they try to wine press yet suffer thirst. These are the people that are working so hard, yet they're so hungry, and they're suffering thirst. They, they, they go without, because the wicked is doing a lot of damage. And, and notice what he says here, even in the following verses. Why is not that God charge, doesn't charge them? He's responding to his friends. The dying groan in the city and the souls of the wounded cry out, verse 12, yet God does not charge them with wrong. You know what he's pleading for? He's pleading for justice here. He's saying, if I have to suffer and I've been an upright man of integrity, why is it that all these people are getting away with it? The wicked man is causing the the poor people to run for their lives and and the weak and vulnerable to to, to want to almost starve for their daily supplement and portion of their food. And, And God hears this. He hears the groanings and He knows the groanings of their soul. Yet He lets the wicked go with wrong. Let's keep reading verse 13 because we're seeing now the injustice that Joe is talking about. There are those who rebel against the light. He's speaking about the false security of the wicked. That they rebel against the light. Look, he's going to talk about the rebels, the murderers, and the adulterers. What about those? How can the rebels, the murderers, and the adulterers also get away? And it says here, those are, there are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways, nor abide in its paths. There are those that reject the light. They don't want the path. They don't want anything to do with it. It says, the murderer rises here with, with the light. Murderer rises right in the morning, very early. He kills the poor and the needy. And in the night, he is, a, he is like a thief. In the morning and during the daytime, he is now killing. And in the nighttime, he is stealing now. Look what it tells us, as we go on, the eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight. The the adulterer waits just for an opportunity to commit adultery into sin, saying, No eye will see me, and he disguises his face. Verse 16, as we continue reading, he says, In the dark they break into houses, which they are marked for themselves in the daytime. In the night, they go and they break into these houses that during the daytime, they have marks, so they know where to enter. Why is it that they're doing this? Let's read it here. They do not know the light. They don't know the light. The wicked are living in darkness. What does Romans chapter 3 verse 12 tell us when it comes to darkness? When it comes to our life? It says here, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. You have no time to waste. Therefore let us cast off the works here of darkness. Darkness is always symbolic of where sin takes place. <laughs> and it says, And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, in revilery, and not in revilery and in drunkness, not in lewdness, not in strife, not in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Do you notice that he's saying here, let's cast off the works of darkness, its day, and let us walk properly as in the day, What is He speaking about? He's speaking about those that are living righteously to understand and know the light. Because the light speaks about holiness. The light speaks about purity. And hear what Job is saying. These men are living in darkness. And they're getting away with it. (laughs) Let's read verse 17 and 18. The morning is in the same to them as the shadow of death. If someone recognizes them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. They live in darkness. They love darkness. That's exactly what they aim for, darkness. They should be swift. Verse, from verse 18 to verse 20, what Job is saying, if God's not going to judge them, then I'll judge them now. <laughs> have you ever felt that way? Well, God's not gonna, if God's going to let them get away, then I'll show them that they're going to have some judgment. Well, this is what Job is, is, is looking to do. He wants to judge them, and it says in verse 18, They should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portion should be cursed on the earth. And this is what he's, he's now claiming against the wicked. So that no one would turn their way into their vineyards as a drought and as he consumes the snow waters. I pray that they experience the wrath of God, he's saying. I pray that they experience now here judgment. This is what exactly should happen to them. They should be consumed now as snow is consumed by heat. And notice in verse 19 and 20 it says, So the grave consumes them, so those who have sinned. The womb, verse 20, should forget him. The worm should feed sweetly on him. He should be remembered no more. That person should just die now. And the wickedness should be broken like a tree. So that his wickedness can finally end. For he prays on the barren. He goes against the barren. He takes advantage now. It's saying here in this false security. Are those who bear it and does no good for the widow. The wicked man is looking to take advantage of those that are vulnerable and those that are weak. But God, this is a very important verse, verse 20. But God draws the mighty away with his power. But God is still even in control of them. they are those that think that they're in control of themselves. They're going to do whatever they want. But after just de- describing the rebels, the murderers, and the adulterers, God's hand of power is still over them you see how this is the sovereignty of God that even those that are doing wickedness that they think that they're in control even God's hand is over them and that's exactly what he's saying he draws the mighty away with its power he he rises up but no man is sure of life there are times where they become exalted but their life is not guaranteed they might rise high but they have no assurance of life And it says here now, verse 23, as we continue reading, he gives them security and they rely on it. Even them rely on the security of God. Even the wicked rely on God for every breath. Even the wicked rely on God for every single day. Because if God decided he can take their breath away right now, do you see how he's, he's giving us a bigger picture, a deeper understanding about God, that he allows them to have security when they do, and they rely on God, and his eyes are on their ways. He is keeping watch over them. He is not blind to their sins. Look Listen to what he's saying. Yeah, his eyes are on their ways. You may think that people are getting away, but God sees everything. He's watching over them as well. They rely on His power as well. They're not exempt from His power. They're not exempt from His sovereignty. They are not exempt from His authority. His authority still applies to them. There are times where we think, well, the authority of God applies to me because I'm the church. The authority of God does not apply to the world. The authority of God applies to everyone. And everyone one day will have to answer to the authority of God because that is the supreme authority. That is the master authority to us. And it says here, they are exalted for a little while. They're exalted for just a little while. Then they are gone. They are brought low. They are taken out of the way like all the others. They, they, they don't last at all. And God knows this. They, they're just exalted for a little while, but then they're brought low. And then they're humbled. It says, they dry out like the heads of grain. They just dry out, these people. And God is still keeping watch over. God still knows. It says here, verse 25, Now if it is not so, if this is not true, you notice how he's so confident. He knows God. He's so confident. He says, if this is not true, who will prove me a liar? He tells us, all right, prove me a liar then that I'm lying. That that, that God is not over the wicked as well. That, That you're telling me that I'm being punished. Well, tell me that, this is, that I am a liar, that this is not true, what I've just said. He says, and make my speech worth nothing. He says, can you claim, can you prove otherwise then? Verse 25, can you make my speech worth nothing and prove me wrong? You know what he's expressing in, verse, uh, in chapter 24? He's expressing holy anger against sin. Because he understands that God doesn't approve. God's holy, righteous wrath does not approve against the rebel, the adulterer, and the murderer. And they, even then, they still rely on God. Because God is in control still. And that's exactly what he's teaching us. That his confidence is in the Lord because he knows this now. But his personal suffering, look what it led him to do in the last 25 verses. His personal suffering made him think about the needs of of others and he was concerned about God helping them lord do not let the wicked get away i know they're still relying upon your power i know they're still rely on you for security i know they're not exempt from your authority lord do not let them get away and he's thinking about the poor the vulnerable and the weak have you ever been in a place in suffering in your life when you start to think about the needs of others that's what suffering does for you it allows you to take your eyes off of yourself sometimes And put your eyes on those that actually have even bigger needs. Know this. And I'm not trying to dismiss your need. There's always someone with a greater need. And that's exactly why we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. And let Him be our confidence. Let Him be our confidence. Job here is is saying, Lord, subpoena the sins of the wicked, please. And he's saying, why is it? that he's mourning with this frustration now, Job, and he cites example after example after example that the sinners go without punishment. He's telling his friends, I understand this, God is sovereign, whatever he does, it doesn't change, and he will do whatever he wants, and his plans will go as appointed for my life. Job 25, let's read here, this is a very short chapter with only six verses, but this is his friend Bildad, his friend now talks about the power and the purity of God above man. And he interrupts Job here. He's saying, well, how do you know? (laughs) How can you ever even be right with God, Job? Do you know how righteous God is? Do you know how pure God is? Do you understand the righteousness of God, Job? Do you know it? Do you comprehend it now? And look what he says. Then Bildad, the Shumai answered and said, demeaning and fear belong to him. Power now and fear belong to God. And in verse two, it says, He makes peace in high places. He enforces now, this is what he's saying, he enforces now fear in heavenly places. He enforces it. Is there any number to his armies? How great is his armies? You can't even count the armies of God. So how is it that it's impossible for you to stand against God because the greatness out out of God and the power of God? Look what he says. His armies are without number. Upon whom does his light not shine? His light shines upon the whole earth. God is so great. God is so powerful. Bill, that is saying. Who are you to think that you know the answer, Job? Verse 4, how then can man be righteous before God? How is it that you think that you're right before God? How is it that you are a mere man? It says here, or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? You're just a sinful man that was born from a woman. How is it that a natural man can be right before an eternal God? How is it that we as natural men can be right before an eternal God? Well, we know it in the New Testament. It gives us the answer that we can be right before an eternal God because of Jesus Christ on the cross dying for our sins. He makes us righteous before God. He's saying, how is it that you can be pure? He's telling them though. If even the moon does not shine and the stars, verse 5, are not pure in his sight. Now for us, the moon and the stars, they shine very bright. They, stand, they I mean, the, the, think about it. It's like a ball of gas that we can't even. We can't even get it so close to it because we'd be burned. We can't even understand the strength of the light that the moon shines and the strength that the stars shine. And to the Lord, he's saying, "To the Lord, that's not even light." <laughs> You see how he's saying unto the Lord? That's not even light or that's not even pure in his sight. The moon doesn't shine. The stars are not uh, pure in comparison to him, in comparison to his strength or in comparison to his purity. Verse 6, how much less man who is a maggot? (laughs) Well, think about a friend that wants to encourage his friend. You're just a maggot. You You see how insensitive he's becoming to Job's need? You're nobody, Job. Why would you ever think that God thinks that you're right in his eyes? Why would you think that you have integrity, Job? You're, you deserve all of this. And he tells him here, How much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm now. Verse 6, he's insensitive to Job's situation and the way he devaluates him as a moral man, speaking about man's frailty and God's majesty. Let's read verse, chapter 26. Because Job is going to answer, and he's going to say, well, you think you know. You guys all know about God? You think you know about God's greatness? Let me teach you about God's greatness, actually, because I don't know where you came up with this case, and whose spirit taught you this. This doesn't come from God. I don't know where you drew this from. And in chapter 26, look what he tells us this. Chapter 26, it says, Job answered and said, how have you helped him who is without power? How is it that you guys have, have helped anyone who is weak or without power? How have you helped me, Or how have you helped anyone else that's weak? You haven't helped anyone, he's saying. Or how have you saved the arm that has no strength? You see, we cannot ever help the vulnerable, the weak, or the poor, or those that don't know the Lord, with a condemning case against them. It has to always be led by compassion. And he's saying, who is it that you have helped? And it tells us, how can you have, how have you consulted one Who has no wisdom? Who have you brought wisdom and declared sound advice to anyone? Have you offered any wise advice to anyone? Because you haven't done it to me, he's saying. And how have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words? And whose spirit came from you? Whose spirit is this coming from? Because this is not coming from the Spirit of God. That's what we have to be careful when we want to give advice. We have to make sure that it's not man's advice. It's not man's wisdom that it doesn't come from the spirit of man, that it comes from the spirit of God. How many times have we been guilty of speaking now on behalf of God, but it's not his spirit? It's not his spirit. And we're misrepresenting him. His friends were misrepresenting him because they were speaking on his behalf, but it wasn't his spirit. He's like, whose spirit is this? This is not from God. God. Have you helped me? Have you helped anyone with this type of wisdom you think that you're so wise, but you're not. Usually the people that think they're wise are really not wise. <laughs> Usually the people that think they know a lot about God don't really know anything about God. And look what it says here in verse 5. The dead tremble. Let me tell you about really who God is. The dead tremble and he is awesome and the Lord is awesome in power and creation. The dead tremble and those under the waters and those inhabiting them, they tremble. At who God is. Even the dead tremble at the power of God. <laughs> look at his description. And it tells us here in verse 6 and Sheol, or death, or Hades, or hell, look what it says here, is naked before him, and destruction has no covering. In verse 6, he tells us God's power is so strong that even underneath, even those that are unco- uncovered, even the underworld now, or even those that are in Sheol, or in the place of death, even they are naked before God's power. You know what he's saying? Nothing is hidden from God, including the realm of the dead. That's, I mean, that, that's amazing to think. That nothing is hidden from God. That's what he's saying. Even the realm of the dead. Verse 7, it says, he stretches. Notice, I want you to underline every time he uses the pronoun he or his. He or his. He stretches out the north over the empty space. Look at, he is The God over all creation. He hangs the earth on nothing. (laughs) Isn't this amazing now how he uses his poetry? He hangs the earth on nothing. He's holding the world on nothing. Think about gravity. How God created gravity. He's holding the earth on nothing. (laughs) That's the power of God. Try to understand that, Job's friends. And look what he's saying here. He's saying he binds up the waters in the thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He fills the clouds with water, yet they're not broken up under it. It says he covers the face of his throne now, and he spreads his clouds over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters. He's the one that drew that horizon that we look at. It was the Lord that separated now the waters and the firmament and lined up the atmosphere. And it says here, at the boundary of light and darkness, think about it, the atmosphere, the boundary of light and darkness, before you hit from the atmosphere into outer space, he drew that line. Isn't that incredible to know this? That he drew a circular horizon at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished. Heavens look down at the creation of God. They're astonished and they're trembling here at the Lord and at his rebuke. Verse 11. He stirs up the sea with his power and his understanding. He breaks up the storm, his power and his understanding. What is Job telling us here? He knows God's greatness more than his friends do. Why do we think that? Why do we know that? Because he's not questioning the wisdom of God. He's not questioning the power of God. And he's not questioning the authority of God. This is when you know that those that know the Lord. That they don't question his wisdom. His power. Or his authority. In this time and where we're living in today. It's very easy to question the wisdom, the power and authority of God. But when you look at the Lord and say Lord you are, have all wisdom. You have all power. You have all authority. It gives us Comfort to endure. And this is exactly what he's teaching us here. That, that God not only sees everything. God made everything. And he's in control of everything as well. Look how he goes on. And he, and, he, and he reads this from verse 13 and 14. It says, But this portion of the wicked man. As he goes on. This portion of the wicked man. With God. And his heritage Of the oppression. I'm sorry, verse 13. But his spirit, he adorned the heavens. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. And his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are mere edges of his ways. Now, nobody noticed this? It was his spirit, the spirit of God, that adorned the heavens. And his hand that pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we wear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? He said, this this what I've just described. is just the mere edges of the power of God. We as in our humanity are only understanding the mere edges of the power of God. Who can, and he's saying, if this is just a whisper of his power, then who can ever understand the power of God when he thunders? If what we realize is just a whisper of his power, then who can understand the power of God? When he thunders, Job understood a lot about God, but what he really understood is that he knew enough to know that there was far more than he, that he did not know. Have you ever came to a place in your spiritual walk that you're saying, I know enough about God to know that there is a lot more that I don't know about Him and that I am still seeking and searching to know Him more? This is the attitude that Job maintained. He maintained his integrity. That's exactly what he did. He maintained his integrity because he had a focus that was vertical on the Lord only, and it wasn't on anything else. Let's read here in Job chapter 27. We're just going to go to one verse. In Job 27, actually the first four verses... Because we're going to learn how he maintains his integrity now in these moment of adversity. Look at what he says. As God lives who has taken away my justice. in the Almighty who has made my soul bitter. It's the Lord's doing. He has done it. As long as my breath is in me. As long as I'm living. Look what he's saying. As long as I live. And the breath of God is in my nostrils. As long as he permits me to live. My lips shall not speak wickedness and my tongue shall not utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say, you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Would you underline that in your Bible? That even through endurance, he's saying, till I die, as long as I live, listen to this, as long as I live, I'll defend my integrity. As long as I live, I'll defend my integrity. And you notice that he talks about his lips. You notice how he talks about his tongue. You notice how he talks about how he's speaking. Because integrity begins in the mouth. And as long as I'll live, I'll defend my integrity. You see, there's one thing that Job was realizing when he's thinking about the sovereignty of God. He realized, number one, I am just the clay. He's the potter. I am just a disciple. He is the Lord. I am just a sheep. He is the shepherd. I am the servant. Now, he is the master. And we start to think about these things. It brings us great comfort during moments of affliction, during moments of adversity, that we ought to know God knows, God leads, God controls. God knows, God leads, and God controls. Can we pray that today... And tonight, God would let us put our confidence in him that we would fear him the way Job feared him, saying, Lord, I know that you know, I know that you lead, and I know that you control. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord. That you have taught us, Lord, today, Lord, what it means to trust your sovereignty. I pray, Lord, that we would not ever question your power, your wisdom, or your authority. And we would never question your doing, Lord. It is your work. We are your masterpiece. We are your workmanship. As we are your workmanship, Lord, that we would realize that what you, Lord, is taking place in our lives, it has been appointed by you, Lord. And Lord, yes, we won't understand it oftentimes, but you are still trustworthy. And because you are trustworthy, we can put our confidence in you. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us in this word. And that even as whether moments change or they don't change, that our confidence wouldn't change. That we look to you only and to you alone. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen.